Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to episode 11 of Super Entertainment Presents the Telgen Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network, coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me in the studio is Ivan Shablowski, convention panelist and lover of cheese, and via Skype is James Boyacek, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. Also with us is our recurring guest host, uh, Chris Nigro, and I am Robert Ronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. So I want to welcome everybody, Chris, Ivan, James. Hello. Hi. Yo. All right. And I want to take this moment to, uh, to make an announcement. Uh, Chris Nigro is no longer going to be a guest host on this show. So long, sucker! Because he is now a regular host on this show. Don't! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, glad to have you. Welcome. <laughs> I'm almost honored to be here. So, Chris, uh, since, since you're the newbie, we'll start you off on our shameless plugging segment. Do you have anything to shamelessly plug other than that you are on the best podcast around? Well, that was the main thing I was going to plug, but since you did it for me, well, I just completed uh, the final draft of a novella, which I call Replicant. I've just had it professionally edited, and I hope that to be one of the three debut publications I make under Wild Hunt Publications which is my own label, and I think it's a rousing modern pulp adventure story, but then I'm biased because I wrote it, and it's basically about a synthetically created soldier who breaks free of his programming and goes on a rampage to become human. Cool. Is there any connection to the replicants from Blade Runner? No, this is just a a total... Um, it's a knockoff that is not a knockoff, if that makes sense. I was not actually inspired by Blade Runner at all. It's just to show he's a replication, you know, the DNA thing. But if it makes okay. you feel better, Ivan, the story does prominently feature Pepto-Bismol. Yes, it does. <laughs> I like it already. <laughs> oh, what a relief it is. No, that, that, that's... that's that, that's for um, what is that? Uh, that that stuff you drop in the in the water and it's Alka Seltzer. We well, yeah. you didn't put any in. You're not appealing to this market share. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, moving on. Ivan, how about you? Yeah, I got nothing. All right, <laughs> James. Just this week, we released Josh Reynolds' Door of Eternal Night, the second part of our Sherlock Holmes novella series we're releasing through this year. It's one of his thrilling royal occultist stories, and this time it is Harry Houdini, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the royal occultist, and his assistant Miss Gallogas going up the one case Sherlock Holmes failed to solve. What happened to Mr. James Fillimore? who, going back into his house to retrieve his umbrella, was never more seen in this earth. And, of course, because it's basically a theme on our show by now, it also heavily features Thomas Karnacki. Mm. What more could you ask for? And then just to plug something I'm not involved with quickly, the second best podcast on iTunes is Strangeness in Space, a comedy podcast starring Trevin Simon from 80s, 90s, British children's TV series and Sophie Aldred from Doctor Who. They're stranded over a strange planet of inc- strange, incredible things, desperate to get home. Plus, there's kind of a cameo from Peter Cushing's Doctor. Hmm. Check it out. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. I love it already. All right. 
All right. So, so uh, my plug for the week. Um, I've actually known about this for a few weeks now, but uh, my publisher said it was okay to talk about it. Um, so, so they've decided that they are working on a uh, second edition of the horror crossover encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Not, not the volume two that I've been talking about that will come out years, but um, it's going to have a nicer cover. It was, it's a, how do you say, matte or matte? Um, Matt. Matt, Matt cover, um, a little bit of revising of some of the, the format um, errors. Consider it a director's missed. cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so um, um, it's gonna it's gonna contain all the original introductory material, um, but I'm also going to be writing a, a new introduction uh, to be added. It will be kind of be a reflection on on how the horror crossover encyclopedia has changed my life type of type of thing. Uh, um, and and uh, I, I have a um, somebody who will be writing a second forward. I hope I haven't asked him yet, but I think he probably will say yes. Um, and I'm not going to say who it is because if he doesn't, then I'm just going to pretend that whoever does say yes is the awesome person that I have been <laughs> planning. There, yeah. <laughs> It will be somebody awesome. <laughs> I thought Ivan was too busy endorsing Imodium. Well, okay, that's just a rumor, so but... Ivan wrote the first intro for right. that book. I couldn't very well write the second one. That'd be just nutty. Right, right. So so if it ends up being my mailman, right, who, who writes that <laughs> intro, that's who I intended all along. <laughs> and he's somebody awesome. Yeah, exactly. Maybe his mailman is awesome. <laughs> all right. So no, actually, he he never delivers my mail on time, and he's very inconsistent. And I think he's a drunk. That um, <laughs> and don't ask him to write that that. And after he hears this episode, you're just never getting the mail again. I, I bet he's never going to listen to this episode. So I can I can say that uh, I go three days without mail, and then my mailbox is stuffed with mail. So I really think he just takes three days off and then puts it all at once. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so that's a plug for the postal service right there. You'll um, get it eventually. <laughs> right. right if he licks all your envelopes. Right. And then he gets mad because I, I, I talk about how direct deposit is, is so much better. And <laughs> but when he sends me checks like five days late, you know, or sends them to the wrong street. <laughs> yeah. So, now that I've ranted about that, uh, let's go to a commercial, and when we come back, we will have guest author Nicole Petit. And we are back. So, James, would you like to introduce our guest, please? It's my delight. As her online bio states, Nicole Petit writes because no other job lets her sleep until noon. That's something we can all relate to. Absolutely. She is responsible for the Scarlet Chase series, which is also known much more accurately as the Magic Realm Manuscripts, which is now starting to come out from 18th Wall, starting on the day this very episode releases. Ooh. So you can run right out and get it now. She also right now. has nice work, if you can get it, coming out this summer, probably in projects. She has collections from the Dragon Park Library, which are nominated for the new Paul Park Awards, which are also available now, as well as multiple collections coming out later this year, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about. So, Nicole, let's start with the background. Where did Scarlet Chase come from? And I know there's a story here, so how did you become involved with 18th Wall Productions? (laughs) So, Scarlet, um, that's a hard question to answer because she is a conglomeration of a lot of past projects that just kind of all fell in together. Uh, I suppose the earliest time that she's recognizable when I w- was when I was attempting to write a television show that was sort of in the ba- vein of Bewitched called Magic Incorporated. Um, and then the TV show stuff didn't work out so well, so I just started writing adventures of her doing solo stuff, and that's how we get her today. Uh, and how how I got involved with 18th Wall. Well, that would be because when I finally did figure out how to write Scarlet, I ended up throwing a lot of her initial story concepts at the writing group that you and I both attended, and you liked it, 
and you approached me in the computer lab one day and said, you write good, write for me, and I'll throw money at your face. And that was the start of a beautiful relationship. There's a lot of throwing going on here. I, guess, I just picture him like act, literally like throwing money at you. <laughs> you write good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what that's pretty much what happened. It's accurate. It's very accurate. So before we go any deeper into discussion, would you like to describe the Dragon Lord Secretary and give our audience an overview of what it is and all of that? The Dragon Lord Secretary is what happened when I sat down and stared into the middle distance and went. I really want Scarlet to go hang out at Coney Island. And then I had to come up with a plot that supplied that. And so I ended up with Scarlet in the summer of 1963, deciding that she was going to become the personal secretary of the great and glorious Dragon Lord. And they do eventually get around to going to Coney Island and riding the El Dorado carousel and setting fire to the Tunnel of Love. As one does. Yes. Sure. Been there, done that. This is a different kind of fire. I... <laughs> yes. No, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, God. Chris, I know you had a lot of questions about Scarlet's character. Feel free to jump into those. Oh, I'm totally jumping into this because I must say... That if you love dragons like I do, if you love the fantasy genre like I do, and if you love the idea of crossovers between genres like, let's say, fantasy elements interacting with what we like to call the real world, you need to grab this book, The Dragon Lord Secretary. We have, Nicole gave us fire drinks. She gave us coddles. I hope I pronounced that right. She gave us wyverns, the dreaded wyverns. She gave us lungs. And if you're studying um, respiratory therapy, don't get too excited because we're talking about the name of Asian dragons that I'm sure you've seen artistic renderings of. And Calix, he is the Dragon Lord. And we basically have interactions between Scarlet Chase, who is not only a Magi, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right, that is, um, I would say, Homo Magi, basically... Think human being with natural magical powers, and she's also a southern belle, which is very cool. And she becomes Calix's secretary. And the interaction between these two, when we see a day in the life of the Dragon Lord, if it sounds boring, trust me, it's not. Because it's, it's Nicole writes very engaging dialogue and interactions, but we do have action sequences the battle between Calix and the knight early in the story, I must say the knight quenched Calix's fire in a very clever way. Won't spoil beyond that. Um, and when they go to Coney Island and you see Calix trying to acclimate himself to the modern world, or modern as it was in 1963, also pretty excellent. And I will end this tirade of mine by reminding you, had they visited Coney Island a mere 15 years later, they may have run into the Warriors street game. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so they narrowly avoided that, at least. <laughs> well, Scarlet does tend to show up at Coney Island. She might not have avoided it. <laughs> I'm going to count that as official. Author's intent. <laughs> going on the timeline. <laughs> count that as an idea. I'm throwing out at Nicole, too. That would have been a cool crossover, but okay, that's just me. <laughs> so, Chris, would you like to end your tirade with a question? <laughs> I guess uh, that basic question is for Nicole in terms of um, Scarlet Chase. Basically, since a lot of, uh, of the characters we create tend to have a lot of autobiographical connotations, do you see any of yourself in Scarlet? Um, a lot of people have accused me of making her an author stand-in, though I wouldn't say that's quite so true. She does have a lot of similarities to me, though I would say her sister, which doesn't show up in this um, story in particular, actually is closer to my personality. Um, but Scarlet did definitely inherit a lot of my love of certain musical styles and her love of classic Hollywood, which she herself participated in, especially with Nice Work If You Can Get It. She, yeah, she met Lucy. and Yes, 
Lucy and Ginger. And I read that one too and liked it, and I spoke about it on a previous installment. Yes. Um, I guess she does get a lot of my... uh, I can't tell whether or not I inherited her way of speaking or she inherited mine because it just so happens that we both kind of have the same basic way of speaking. The southern drawl? That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Not so thick right now. It gets thicker the tireder I get. But it's getting there. I can hear it. It's creeping up on me. From Massachusetts, we can tell. (laughs) (laughs) I remember being in Montana and people were saying, you have the thickest southern accent. And I was (laughs) like, I... I don't have an accent, guys. You you haven't been to the South. No, no, no. You have an accent. And I, that was when I found out that I had a Southern accent was in Montana. You know, it's funny. Most of our guests on the show so far have either been Southerners or from England. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I think I think it, we, we know who we're trying to appeal we're, to. We're choosing, we're choosing a guest just on the accents. <laughs> so, um, Scarlet Chase... Um, uh, we've talked a little bit about her characteristic um, and how she came to be um, in the real world sense. But um, so what who is she? What is her origin story? Scarlet Chase was born in 1855 and she is she would love to tell you she's immortal. She's not. She just doesn't age. Um, she is half mortal as she would reckon her mother was mortal and her father is a mage which she will consider more of a species than she actually considers a magical talent Um, they come from the magic realm they claim that they're pretty much responsible for any awesome magic person including Merlin though that one is Mm. speculation they just like to brag a lot about it um, he came to the mortal realm and found uh, Ruth, who is Scarlet's mother, and they started a nice family with uh, the oldest sibling is Lydia, and then there is Elijah and Elisha, the twins, and then there's Scarlet, who is the youngest, and she ran away from home at 16, and ever since then, she's just been getting into trouble absolutely everywhere. Um, including everything that she will call her resume, which Mm. is apparently in a very, very large box at the back of uh, the Dragon Lord's secretary's covers, to be believed. Well, I can see the bewitched um, um, inspiration from from that. Um, Was there a little Zatanna Zatara inspiration in that as well? probably a little bit in there somewhere floating around she is a conglomeration of pretty much everything that i've ever encountered in reading and writing so i'm sure it's in there somewhere i I like the the origin story because because it um um it's inspired by bewitched it uh syncs up with the tvcu concept very well uh which means less headaches for me when i have to incorporate her (laughs) her character (laughs) Oh, don't That's worry. It. We'll find you some headaches. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, I'm sure she'll she'll give you some. Yeah. Seems Scarlet is everything Tabitha Stevens could have been. Yeah, she does kind of have the the Tabitha feel to her. Um, Personality wise, she ended up getting a lot more from Endora mm. and Serena, as I wanted Serena yeah. to be. I never felt like Serena really lived up to just how much fun she could be in the show and I basically went I want someone like that but even more fun and just ran with it I think Serena would have got her own spin-off series if not for the fact that uh, you know Elizabeth Montgomery would have had to do two shows simultaneously but you know I like the idea of the sassy southern chick the sassy southern belle and I'm glad Scarlett has those attributes <laughs> that's good yeah she the southern stuff is definitely a lot of since you asked about if she's based on me it just comes from a lot of my knowledge of just southern culture and stuff and it's just so interesting the certain colloquialisms and everything that you have down here uh my mom's from georgia and my dad's entire side of the family is pretty much from south carolina 
So I just got to hear a lot of those stories and listen to all of those um, different ways of speaking and, and just incorporated everything I could into Scarlet. I remember going to college and I ended up saying uh, in front of my roommates, I think it was the one where I, I said a blind hog digs up a few truffles now and then. And they stared at me for the longest time, and I went, do you not say that up here? <laughs> they went, I've never heard that before in my life. I thought you came up with it. And I was like, no, no, it's just, it's a saying. It's, it's oh. And then I dirt started discovering that basically everything that I say was new and interesting, and everyone <laughs> thought I was so clever and had made up all of these witty sayings. And I was like, no, no. Nice. Y'all are known for your southernisms. <laughs> Yep, that we yeah. are. Oh, and by the way, Nicole, I did catch the Doc Savage reference, just in case you were wondering. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a fun one. But did you catch that Clicks was also reading Professor Moriarty's textbook on the heavens? Ooh. And he also reads the, the Dynamics Federalist of the papers. Asteroids. Let's not forget Calix reads the Federalist Papers, too. And Scarlet reads comic books. Yes, reference to Marvel's journey into mystery we got. That was awesome. That's where Thor first appeared. Yay. Yes. Uh, that was fun. That was one of the fun parts to write is just figuring out what sort of books can we throw in here and how many can we get before it gets really irritating for the readers. And not at all. You really, really placated the geeks. Like <laughs> yeah, that's what people like us like to do is spot those little references and easter eggs that might be why we have this show yeah 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 it could be <laughs> so um um this scarlet chase is part of a series um and yeah. i've heard there is more to come um is there anything you can um reveal here now or is it all hush hush top secret stuff um i wouldn't say it's so much top secret as it's still in the like brainstorming processes uh -huh. but we are certainly working on one where she is uh involved with sherlock holmes and dr watson nice that's going to be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to finishing that one up yeah uh after that we're looking at doing a little anthology called previous employment which does just further detail adventures of certain things she did before she was the dragon lord's secretary like when she used to be with her brothers in vaudeville. That's probably the one I'm oh, looking forward excellent. to most. Uh, and to throw a crossover bone just because it is a theme we always touch on. There yes. is a Karnacki story in that sense. <laughs> yes. Karnacki. There is uh, an interaction with Aleister Crowley, which is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm for more fun, it's a historically accurate Aleister Crowley. Yes, it is. Including his wonderful mm. magic trick for how to become invisible. Oh, hmm. gosh. Yes. Oh, if I can ask a personal favor, Nicole, as much as you know I love Scarlet, please do bring back Calix, too. Oh, yeah. He's he's definitely showing up. He has a lot of things to do, and he's a diva. He can't stand to be out of the spotlight for too long. Awesome. I want you to take, to, or basically have Scarlet bring Calix in his disguised human form to visit a hippie commune. That ought to be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and have them meet Anton LaVey during the 60s. Oh, goodness. That could be really exciting. Well, it's, wait, with a character like that, it's interesting because, um, you know, she's long, so long-lived and e eternally young, um, you know, that uh, you, you can hop around in, in time and stories with her and, and, and uh, hit all kinds of different, you know, um, types of stories, types of events, types of crossovers and... You know, yeah, that's definitely why I chose to make her like she is. Um, I've thought a lot about the time period in which she would be born, if she would be older than she is now, how old should she be, um, things like that. I love having her be ageless because it allows for so much jumping around and so much fun. Um, I specifically picked the Wild West, though, for thematics of her being right. a wild, untamable kind of force and for her southernness in general and kind of coming around the Civil War era. 
that she's involved with that and that she has a history with that definitely plays into why I chose the specific era that she was born in. It, oh. it, it would be interesting to see her in a, like a post-apocalyptic future where she's still around. Hmm. If I control hmm. an infested plug that's very relevant, have her run into Dorian Gray eventually. That would be a lot of fun. I've thought about that before. Uh, I haven't I haven't figured out a story with Dorian Gray yet, but I would like to do that eventually. Hmm, is someone trying to collect authors for his anthology? <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking at you, Chris. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, for those who haven't uh, been listening to our shows all along, uh, Chris Nigro is writing, uh, well, well, collecting an anthology of uh, Dorian Gray stories for a collection. And just imagine Scarlet and Dorian Gray running into each other, penned by Nicole. <laughs> I'm imagining. Uh... One of my favorite parts of Scarlet being so ageless is all of the famous friends she picks up. Yes. So, give us a little bit of an insight into her famous friends. They're fun. Oh, well, there's there's the fact that you can never really tell how much Scarlet is bluffing about how much of them are really her friends. Because <laughs> you can't really go cross-check these things. Um, she definitely has referenced that she uh, worked with Roy Chapman Andrews. Um, and that's how she encountered the Mongolian death worm, though he never believed her. And she's constantly frustrated by that fact. Um, Winston Churchill is one of her claimed friends and uh, apparently hired her to do some things, especially in World War II. Um, let's see, who else does she like to throw around? Um, she went... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt is one that she references quite often, specifically the time that they went hunting and actually found the white stag. The From legendary legends. Mm. Yes. The Arthurian white stag. And she apparently let that stag go because she just couldn't bear to kill it. And that follows her around sometimes. As uh, people who read the books see. Yes. That does come up. Those are the ones that come up within the story itself. Um, I can't think of any others that she references in that particular story. Um, she does reference Jimmy Durante sometimes uh, in other things. Um, in Vaudeville, she probably ran into Fred and Adele Astaire mm. when they were running the circuit. And, of course, a nice work, if you can get it, she ran into Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, Lucy, and Ginger Rogers. Right. I got uh, a question here that, that is not actually a joke question, but, yes, it is based on certain episodes I've seen of Bewitched. Has she, Scarlet, in her time ever run into the real Santa Claus, which I think would be interesting? Yes, she does know the hey. real Santa Claus. Cool. And she may or may not have been kicked out of the North Pole by one of Santa's administrative reindeer. Does she call him Bob? <laughs> uh, I think she just calls him Saint Nick. Oh, I, was gonna, I would think it was Kringy or something. Or yeah, <laughs> there's a lot That's of art. Sorry, my bad. Go on. No, go for it. No, I just said that fell flatter than my usual humor. Go on. Gotcha. There's a lot of Arthurian content in the Dragon Lord Secretary. What inspired yes. this? Uh, I really like Arthurian lit. <laughs> um, it, it really revolved around the white stag and the concept of, uh, especially the fact that she's a hunter. She likes to hunt things. She was a bounty hunter or at least uh, a freelance hired gun when she was younger in the Wild West. And uh, growing up, hunting was what she did to survive. It's something she enjoys, and it's something that she would do with her older sister. So usually um, from there, it was basically I went, um, what sort of game does she hunt now that she's older and more experienced? And I started going through things, and 
I landed on the questing beast and the white stag and just thought that was a really cool concept. And then I started running from there and I went, well, if I have the white stag, what else can I get? Well, what about the rest of Camelot? What can I do with that? And then everything just kind of fell into place. I would like to see your knock heads with Morgan Le Fay. Mm. Yes. That is a distinct possibility. Yay. Yeah, no spoiling it yet, but I really hope she does eventually write the story she has in mind for Morgana. It's unique and touches on aspects of her that no one really knows what to do with. You mean I answer the real the real questions that should be asked? Like, why yes. did she pick up necromancy when she was punted off to a nunnery, according to Mallory? Right. Yes. How did that happen? Because that's... Mallory takes one sentence to bring that up, and it's like, by the way, she went to a nunnery and she picked up necromancy, and then it's never mentioned again. And it, I need to know that. Isn't that common? <laughs> I don't know. Must have happened quite often. Well, I mean, Christ so, rose from the dead. That's what the nuns are all about, right? <laughs> Isn't that necromancy, in a sense? I think that's a dead issue here. <laughs> oh, no. Here come the puns. Yeah, inescapable. Yes. yes, that's how Chris, why Chris got hired was for his puns. I approve. It makes everyone, it makes all the other guys look. In, it basically, makes her other announcers and guests look much superior to me. Thank you for that service. So, Chris, did you have any thoughts about the Domine? The Domine. Yes. Well, if I had thoughts about it, I'd, I would not have had that. You know, I would not have mentioned the Domini with that, you know, obvious incredulous question mark after it. <laughs> so that would be a no. He said it. I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't figure anyone would. He only shows up for the one scene that he does and kind That's of chastises. Or... I figured people would be curious about the things in his pockets. Oh, yes. Those are fun. I was more thinking about that the the wind knight with that whip made of uh, made of what zephyr would that be wind, the essence of wind material or something I thought that was cool earlier okay he kind of gets in a very unfortunate predicament I won't mention because that would be a spoiler but I thought that knight was cool that's what really caught my attention he started out as a completely useless side character that I only had for that very beginning and then I realized that I actually need a plot for my story and then he started showing up more and I'm thankful that he did. But yes, he is a specifically, that would be what a mage would refer to as his specialty is commanding the element of the wind. As Scarlet's specialty in magic is empathy. She is an empath. So she would like to tell you that she can read minds, which she sort of, sort of can. She reads more of the textures of thoughts, and she can influence people in that way. But it's not a particularly, according to mages, useful skill set. That wind whip was pretty a good skill set for that night. I thought that was pretty yes. fascinating. I mean, he was full of a lot more than just hot air, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Look what you started, Rob. <laughs> I shouldn't have encouraged him. I, I so ever since we hired Chris this week, uh, we have a we have a little chat box on Facebook where we discuss like serious hard work of the show, and um, Chris has just been inundating us with puns <laughs> all week. I'm a punny guy. <laughs> when I'm stressing out about the intricate details of the show and and laboring and laboring and <laughs> well i mean i was sending james pictures of nuda branches that look like bunnies earlier and i was really really excited about that you don't understand that was really exciting to me i found out nuda branches can look like bunny rabbits and i've just haven't been happier hair raising story <laughs> If Chris works in 20 puns in one show, he gets double the pay. So Right. He's, Sorry about that. He's worth every penny we don't pay him. <laughs> I'd prefer an ice cream cone, but all right. <laughs> Nicole, would you like to 
talk about some of your upcoming anthologies? Um, oh, and also a quick reminder. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Go for it. You are you talking about the ones that are that are out right now? Or are you talking about the ones that are coming up? Both. Just go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, I do have the two anthologies that are out. Um, that one of the stories in the first one is that correct? Is nominated for an award, and then the second one in general is nominated. Correct. And those are both volumes of from the dragon lord's library and yes it is the great and glorious dragon lord calyx's mm. library that these collections are said to be from um and those are out now and you can get those on amazon or 18th wall's website because i am shameless and i will plug these and look they're getting awards they're all nominated for awards hopefully they get awards that'd be really cool and then uh, Just So Stories. Do we have an ETA on that? May 6th, I think, okay. if I don't have my date. Yeah, May 6th. Uh, Just So Stories is an anthology that I dedicated to um, the writer that has probably in my top five most inspired me um, writing-wise, Rudyard Kipling and his Just So Stories. Um, we got a bunch of authors to do stories just like that. Um, and that's going to be out hopefully May 6th, depending on if things work out in the stars align and the, mm. the right all, sacrifices are made. Yes. All of that stuff. If the moon's aligned, everything. And then what's, um, in currently an open call right now is after Avalon, which of course expounds upon my love of Arthurian literature and is, well, exactly what it says on the tin. It's what happened after Arthur was taken to Avalon. Wow, that sounds like something that um, that Morgan Le Fay could appear in with Scarlet Chase. You know it. <laughs> well, Scarlet wasn't quite alive yet back then. But it's no. t- it takes place after Avalon. Yeah. I guess technically this is still after Avalon, so okay. Yeah. Yep. I was yep. very, very vague about uh, time periods. Right. Yeah, we've anything, already accepted one story set during World War Two. Yeah, I'm really excited. Too. Right, anything Arthurian post the Arthurian age, right? Yeah, isn't that anthology? Yeah, definitely sounds like Tales to Astonish. Yeah, <laughs> one of you's got it. At least, <laughs> I would even say it's a journey into mystery. Uh, more strange tales. Spider-Man. <laughs> Amazing fantasy. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Sorry for starting that. <laughs> this is just incredible, Hulk. <laughs> Sorry. I've got a problem now. Look, Chris is enabling me. <laughs> Hi, Dad. These just sound like great fantasy masterpieces we're talking about. Well, that was my favorite adventure. <laughs> the Doom Patrol premiered there, by the way. Just show everyone how smart I am. He just crossed over to DC. Hey. What? <laughs> well, we do love crossovers, right? Sure. All right. I keep my geek credentials in there. <laughs> so do you guys have any more questions for our guest? <laughs> Or should we, or should we get her to plug her social media? I think that would be a good idea. People need yep. to be able to know how to follow her. Currently, I have a Facebook uh, that you can just find by typing in Nicole Petit in that search bar up there. And uh, I just started it because it's like I realized, oh, I'm an author now. I guess I kind of need to market stuff. <laughs> so James went, yeah, you should probably do that. And then I did, and I posted, I, I have like three posts on there right now. I'm really excited. I'm really moving. <laughs> I'm going places now. And you have a nice cover of the, of the, the Dragon Lord Secretary. Yes. Yeah, as your profile That's picture. That's Calix. Yes. And Scarlet? Yes. Though not as many freckles as I would have liked, I will mm. say. Distinctly freckleless. I see the word balloon on there where she says, Y'all read my books now. I should probably do that. 
Just don't tell me it was my suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> they may never read the books. Oh, gosh. Yes, don't tell the fictional character it was Chris's suggestion. <laughs> I think step through the fourth wall soon. Well, that, that'll be one of the crossovers where she actually crosses over to our reality and, and, and meets, meets her, her author. <laughs> oh, that could be very dangerous. Yeah. Every series goes there eventually, it seems. That's right. Oh, dear. It's a very common trope. Steve Gerber would agree if he was alive. True. Well, Nicole, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank um, you for having me. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. We Great look, to have you here. We look forward to the continuing adventures of Scarlet Chase. And Calix. Yeah. And Calix. <laughs> <laughs> had a thrum for him there. Anyone who reads the book will understand. Chris yeah. really likes dragons. Hey, I do too. I mean, that's why I wrote these stories. I, I like strong female good. adventurers, but... <laughs> So I love both of those things, and that's why I write both of them. <laughs> Giant lizards that breathe fire are cool also. Yes. Yes, they are. Yes. That's true. That is true. <laughs> so we're going to go to a commercial. Thank you, Nicole, for being with us. Thank you. All right. And when we get back, we will uh, maybe talk a little crossovers and uh, wrap up. All right, we're back, and we've actually got about uh, ten minutes where we can we we can chat about stuff. And um, Ivan, you had pointed out um, uh, a crossover a few weeks ago that we were going to talk about um, with the new show Lucifer and one of your other favorite shows. Uh, yes, uh, the fact that on a recent episode of Supernatural, the Archangel Lucifer suggested that after he's done. Defeating this season's big bad, the darkness, he might uh, retire to Los Angeles and solve crimes, which is basically the plot of the Fox series Lucifer. Yes, and uh, I, I've I've watched the beginning of Lucifer, and um, um, if 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 we smush together that he's been on Earth for a couple of years, and just say maybe that's a couple of months. Or, or you know, or maybe he's referring to that he's been on Earth before because he has on Supernatural. Then, then uh, it might work. It, it might work. I haven't seen anything overly uh, contradictory thus far. I'd want to see how both seasons end before yeah. trying to actually pigeonhole yeah, either yeah, one or yeah. the other. But yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because Lucifer is a spinoff. Uh, well, it's a the Fox a, series a, Lucifer. Yeah, Lucifer the the series, not the not the not the biblical character himself, but the the Fox series is um is based on the DC comic, the Vertigo comic, which was a spin-off of Hellblazer, which inspired Constantine, which is part of the Arrowverse. Um and it, it seems it seems like um um the mythology lines up for Constantine and and Lucifer. Um but I doubt they will make it part of the Arrowverse. It seems very unlikely that anything on Fox will become part of the, the Arrowverse. Right, right. Even when even when they threw in the accidental crossover on Gotham um, by having the Queen Consolidated logo appear because they just happened to grab a, a prop and uh, not realizing what it meant, um, they quickly they quickly announced like, no, 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 this is not meant to be a crossover. <laughs> because we'll just have to argue that point. Huh? We will just have to argue that point. Well, yeah. yeah, you go and tell Fox, Chris. You tell them right. <laughs> I think Gotham can have its... The universe that Gotham takes place in can have its own Oliver Queen with its own Queen Enterprises. We don't have to have... Right, but it was the exact same logo. Right. You know, um, you know the, same, the, yeah, the same exact logo, which... Um, but, you know, it's, it's a prop thing. And in the TVCU, we do often use props to connect... Um, and it's my theory that Gotham is in the Arrowverse until they specifically can prove otherwise um, that it's not um, because of yeah. that. And since Gotham seems to be like 10 to 20 years behind modern technology, right. it fits in easily as the past. Right, right. And there is now a Batman in, in, uh, allegedly in the Arrowverse, as Rip Hunter alluded to in Legends of Tomorrow. So 
Uh, but that could be part of their multiverse rather than in the Arrowverse itself. No, it would have to be in the Arrowverse itself because Vandal Savage talks about killing him, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, we might have to see what happens with the Flash-Supergirl crossover, how they work that in. That's almost definitely going to be a that, that's multi, that's, crossover. That's multiversal because, um, uh, spoilers for anybody who's not watched The Flash, Connor, um, <laughs> but... Um, when he when he when he travels to Earth two recently, um, he sees basically what is DC's hyper time, and um, he sees Supergirl's universe as a separate universe in that hyper time, as well as the old '90s Flash, uh, which starred the actor who plays his father, which uh, is really really awesome. For for those who actually who go to our website, that would be uh, TVCU two. Unless they tell me otherwise, <laughs> now they're they're bringing that back. <laughs> Could end up screwing that up, but yes. Well, they've got their own Earth too, so it's right, 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 right. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm uh, going away from the whole TVC numbering system because of the Arrowverse uh, multiverse and just calling everything by whatever they want to call it officially. So the, the television crossover multiverse just consists of. Arrowverse, DC Cinematic Universe, Supergirl Universe, and other things. No, it no, makes our lives easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it makes my life life easier. <laughs> but it's easier for me if we do use our own numbering system because shows that have crossovers that take place in the same world aren't all going to be called by that one show. Right. Well, I'm still using like TVCU2 as the reboot, remake universe because a lot of those shows and things that get put in there aren't part of any officially named universe otherwise so uh it still makes sense to have most reboots and remakes in tvcu too um for that purpose but but universes that have more popular uh names um marvel cinematic universe or whatever i'm just gonna go with that for now on um because it's just easier. <laughs> you know what? I should mention this because we actually forgot to bring up something in the interview. We didn't really talk about crossovers. I did Despite mention that. the fact there's a f- quite a few in there. So let me just give our dear audience a couple pointers on what to look out for. One I mentioned, Professor Moriarty's book, The Dynamics of an Asteroid, is right. in Clix's library. Right. The Domine, when he empties his pockets has a vial of water from Dante's Heaven in the last part of the Divine Comedy. And he has a few other bits and bobs in there that I'm not going to explicitly say what they are, but maybe you should look at them and see if you can figure out what fiction they're from. Wink. (laughs) And I believe there is one other Sherlock Holmes reference in the story itself. So, happy hunting, our dear audience. I thought that's what you were were referencing with the pockets, that that, that's where I should pay attention and 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 drink some more coffee, so I'm extra alert when I'm. Feel <laughs> free to ask us what it's got in its nasty little pockets. Just 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 like in any references to books, I should be extra alert. Yes, and I would also say look out for Arthurian references. Right. And Doc Savage. <laughs> and Doc Savage. <laughs> so that's more of a roundabout crossover. Okay. I liked it though. Nice. So um. Oh, yeah. So um, the TVCU and the cartoon universe are also going through some changes because of um, uh, Batman 66. Um, And uh, because of that, I'm going to be updating the Superman timeline again, um, but simplifying it. Less Superman in the timeline. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's going to... um, be more TV centric. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I, I'm really honoring Batman 66 as you know, since it's you know in story and it's more canonical um, and and stuff like that. I'm still keeping the generational Batman theory though because there are so many Golden Age crossovers that link to Batman that work with the TVCU and modern day crossovers. Yeah, 
Yeah, and modern day crossovers. Uh, I'm still going to have the the Superman Junior um, thing. There's there's a, there's enough stories to support that. Um, but about, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. How about those few crossovers uh, with Batman that go back even further into the past? Let's say like um, Gotham. Gotham under gaslight or something. Are any of those of any use? No, to the th- those are just as DC says, Elseworlds. Ah. <laughs> but they're Elseworlds within the Italian crossover multiverse at all as well. Um, so, well, we'll often get Batman stories that claim that basically Thomas Wayne put the costume on for one reason or another, maybe once or twice, and that inspired Bruce. And then in generations, we got the claim that Bruce Wayne put on a Robin costume long before yeah. Dick Grayson did. So there's all these, you know. You know, uh, um, and it is possible that some earlier stories could be Thomas Wayne. I had actually batted around the idea of since Batman 66 um, is so interwoven now with TVCU that maybe Bruce Wayne should be just a 60s Batman and Thomas Wayne should be the Golden Age Batman. But I, I, I was like, no, I, I just didn't like that. It just didn't feel, feel right to me. Well, I, I yeah. think that the Batman-Captain America crossover that's set in the 40s kind of sets the stage Yeah. For- Bruce Wayne as the original Batman. Bruce Wayne yeah, Jr. Exactly, as the exactly, ex- exactly. And uh, um, I really have a lot of respect for for that story. Um, you notice we're getting more of Thomas Wayne as Batman now. Not only was that the case in the Flashpoint universe, but on Earth Two, he uh, he, he actually succeeded his son as Batman on Earth Two, the right. current iteration, which is interesting. All right, and um, so we're going to have to wrap up. Um, so that uh, we honor our time for the show um, and and this wrap up is going to be a little bit longer than usual um, so that's about all the time we've got join us next week when we'll be talking with me <laughs> I'll not be hosting next week because I am the scheduled guest for next week um, it's going to be all about me uh, so before we end I want to thank our GoFundMe sponsor who asked that it remain anonymous and that this donation be on behalf of those who support the show and the TVCU through non-financial means. And so, tonight's show is dedicated to the extended TVCU crew, those contributors who give up their time to participate in research, discussion, proofreading, fact-checking, and more. And so I'd like to thank, in alphabetical order, Lori Lee Adams, Octavio Aragayo, and now I'm going to mispronounce some of these, Sarek J. Arclight, Sven Marcus Bjorglund, David McDowell Blue, James Boyachuk, Andrew Brook, Bruger's Bagels, Jeffrey Bryson, Loki Carbis, Salvador Cucinata, Hugh H. Davis, Harem Lafon Dupe, Dunkin' Donuts, Wynn Scott Eckert, 18th Wall, Jessica Eng, Sarah King Fager, uh, Forbes Library, Lucas Garrett, Greg Gick, Donald F. Glutt, Ted Gregory, the Haymarket, Jonah Heim, Kevin Heim, Matt Hickman, Rayford Hodges, Thomas Holbrook, John D. Lindsay Jr., Gordon Long, Chuck Loridens, Tony McKean, Sean Malloy, Renee Manuel, Robin Martin, Tay Mueller, Michael Nesbitt, Jess Nevins, Chris Nigro, Mary Helen Norris, Toby O'Brien, Jim Payton, Chris Rom, Von Romer, Ivan Arnold John Small, Jeffrey S. Weissman, Richard Wells, Kim West, Connor Ronsky, Joe Ronsky, Mike Ronsky, and Philip Zierman. And Jerry Mathers as the beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Somewhere.